seems quite sophisticated. You must not have come here straight out of high school. I did, I said. Oh, well, good for you. Thanks. You seem fully immersed in the study of oppression. Any reason for this? Well, I do live in the world. Yes, that's right. And you say here a shocking line that a language must sometimes be repressed and replaced for the larger good. You believe this? Yes. You think that the Eastern Bloc countries should be forced to speak, as you say here, the mother tongue. Some parts of the paper I had just copied down verbatim, without really understanding, and now I was stuck with them. Now they were my opinions. Yes, I said. You know I am from that region. Is that right? From Poland. Whereabouts in Poland? I asked conversationally. I was born on the edge of it, in a dark forest land along its northeastern border, before the Soviet Union took it over completely, burning our towns. As children, we were forced to speak Russian, even in our homes, even when we said goodnight to our mothers as we fell asleep. This was turning into a little piece of bad luck. When did you write this? he asked. Last week. It reads like it was written fifty years ago. It reads like Soviet propaganda. Oh, I said. I didn't mean it that way. Did somebody help you? Actually, yes. Certainly that's all right. Of course, if done properly. Who was it that helped you? A book or a person? My roommate helped me, I said. Your roommate? What is her name? Solveig. Solveig what? Solveig Juliusen. Is she a linguistics scholar? No, just very bright. Maybe I can talk to Solveig myself. Unfortunately, you can't. Why not? It's complicated. In what way? Well, she stopped eating. She's very thin. Her parents were worried, so they took her home. Where does she live? I don't know. We both sat silent. Luckily, I had experienced lying in my adolescence and knew it was possible to win even though both parties were aware of the lie. The exercise was not a search for truth, but rather a test of exterior reserve. I'm sure she'll be returning soon, I said. I'll have her call you. Stasilova smiled. Tell her to eat up, he said. His sarcasm curled inside his concern. Okay. I said. I got up and hoisted my bag over my shoulder. As I stood, I could see the upper edge of the sun falling down off the hill on which St. Gustav was built. I'd never seen the sun from this angle before, from above as it fell, as it so obviously lit up another part of the world, perhaps even flaming up the sights of Stasilova's precious, oppressed Poland, its dark, contested forests and burning cities, its dreamy and violent borders. My roommate Solveig was permanently tan. She went twice a week to a tanning salon and bleached her hair frequently so that it looked like radioactive foliage growing out of dark, moody sands. Despite all this, she was very beautiful and sensible. Margaret, she said when I came in that evening, 
The library telephoned to recall a book. They said it was urgent. I had thought he might check the library. Okay, I said. As I rifled through the clothes on my closet floor, I decided it would have to be burned. I would finish the book, and then I would burn it. But first, there was tonight, and I had that rare thing, a date. My date was from Stasilova's class. His name was Hans. He was a junior, and his father was a diplomat. He had almost auburn hair that fell to his neckline. He wore, always, long white shirts whose sleeves were just slightly, almost imperceptibly puffed at the shoulders, like an elegant little joke, and very long, so they hung over his hands. I thought he was articulate, kind. I had, in a moment of astonishment, asked him out. The night was soft and warm.